Well, when a person wants to fix someone, maybe they want to rescue him or her. But here's the bottom line. When people have an issue with codependency, uh, it's almost like they, it's like a habit. Whenever something goes haywire in a relationship, they're the first to start to fix everything, to be the peacemaker, to make sure everybody is okay. You know, that's a lot of weight. That's a lot of pressure on one person. So it's usually not a good idea to do that because it makes the relationship unequally yoked or one-sided. And then, you know, sometimes we may start to feel resentful, okay, frustrated, maybe even sad because the other person doesn't seem to be uh, totally engaged in the relationship with us. So watch out for fixing everything in the relationship because it actually encourages or I'm going to go ahead and say uh, a better word for that is that he or she usually um, not just encourage, enabling. Bam, that's it. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for, enabling. Sometimes we can end up enabling the other person, which will encourage them to not change, okay? Not saying that they have to change for everyone, but I think you all get the idea. When one person does everything in the relationship, it really encourages the other person to kick back and just enjoy all the goodies, okay? So watch out for rescuing and watch out for fixing everything.
what some narcissists and cluster B personality types do is that they will mimic other people. So sometimes they may hijack the identity of others. What do I mean by that? Well, they will copy. They're like a copycat. So they'll sit back and they'll study you first. Then they learn your, you know, they learn your gestures. They learn what you are more emotional about, what you're less emotional about, how you react to things, what makes you reactionary, what makes you angry, frustrated. And they study that. Then they start to mimic. But what they really zero in on are your positive traits. Because narcissists and some cluster B personality types, they do not emotionally regulate very well. So they have to pretend when they are around other people that they want to pull in for narcissistic supply. Because they feel, you know, they figure they already have you, right? They already conquered you. I hate to put it like that, but this is usually how narcissists and subcluster people personality they, they look at it. It's like, okay, I've conquered that person, I've reeled them in, okay, got them, got them in the bag, right? Now, they zero in on somebody else. Now, they may deem them as primary source supply. They may deem them as a secondary source supply. But the bottom line is they're trying to get, they're targeting in on someone for the narcissist supply. So what's the best way they can do it? They may behave like you. They may pretend to be you. Okay, so they have mimicked your positive traits, joy, gratitude, Okay, all these other type of high vibrational frequency emotions. They they don't have you know they don't know how to feel that authentically, so they have to pretend. And unfortunately, it works. They usually pull other people in, and they ensnare them. Okay, and there you go. They have more narcissistic supply. So the identity crisis is when you co-sign for dysfunctional roles. You start playing these dysfunctional roles, such as being a scapegoat, a psychological trap shoot, okay, an emotional punching bag. Is loss of voice, okay, or not really confident in knowing how to use your voice, but keeping secrets that harm you and others is another way to enable your narcissist or cluster personality type. Okay, because again, this is another way that they blame you and everybody else for what they do. They're looking for the fuel. They're looking for the uh, excuses. They're looking for the control. So this is, this is a great way to keep you silent in the relationship when they're emotionally bullying you to keep their deep, dark, dirty secrets. Because that's part of the covert narcissism. They emotionally bully you to keep those secrets, okay? And then you're afraid to speak up because they may also gaslight you. They may have you doubting your abilities to not only use your voice, but to use your own mind, critical thinking. And if you feel something, you know, I want to say something about the emotions. When you start to express emotions, they often will exploit your capacity to do so. This is another way to keep you in the sunken place, which also can lose, it can have you lose your confidence in using your voice. When somebody is repeatedly put down, when somebody is repeatedly um, let down, this weighs on the spirit. And they may, they may lose hope. They may feel like, why say anything at all? Poor sense of self. 
okay? So what does that look like? All right. Difficulty with separateness. So you don't know, again, we're talking about the level, we're talking about a level of enmeshment. So you don't know where they end and you begin. You know, here we have the trauma bonds. Now, if we're talking about a narcissistic family setting or a families who have clustery personality types who are running the family or they have a lot of influence in that family, such as parents and or grandparents, because when we look at the other family members within a narcissistic family, whether or not they have clustery personality types, they don't have a lot of influence in your life as a child, such as your aunts, your uncles, your cousins. Even your siblings may not have that much. Really, they don't because they're not keeping the lights on. They're not keeping the food on the table. Okay? Unless it's a situation whereas they have to go out and try to get some money because mama and, and daddy, they're not pulling their weight. Okay? But anyway, the trauma bond can be very difficult to get past because within a narcissistic um, family setting, if you have a cluster B personality type grandparents or, or parents, they have a lot of influence over your life. Spiritually, you can detach or spiritual, all right? Choosing to connect to self rather than connecting to the circumstances. Now, that's a tough one, but it can be done. Practice, 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 okay? Spiritually, some of us, we are choosing unconsciously to attach or to connect to the situation instead of staying in our bodies, staying present. Especially when something is very uncomfortable, we want to escape. All right. These are the tools. Tool number one. Discontinue co-signing dysfunctional roles. Okay, so this is not going to be very easy, but it can be done. Again, driving forward starts in the mind, not in the behind. Okay? So, uh, going no contact also starts within the mind, not in the heart. So, discontinue co-signing dysfunctional relationships because those dysfunctional roles will keep you in the sunken place. You don't have to continue to be a psychological trap shoot. You don't have to continue to, be, to play that role of scapegoat. You were not chosen. You were tagged. You were targeted to become a scapegoat within your family, if that's your, your situation. Okay, so you don't have to continue to co-sign that. And it starts in the mind. Okay, you have to start thinking about what's really going on in the relationship. Because a lot of adults of narcissists, they continue to play these dysfunctional roles, sometimes unconsciously. And then it spills over to the rest of their life. Their other relationships, they go to work. They may be that person 
who everybody dumps the, the, the pile of tasks and work on. The workload gets passed on to you. You, you don't get that promotion, yet you know you've earned the promotion. See, these are the, this is another way we play those dysfunctional roles, from our personal life to our professional life. So in every relationship, we tend to play the same dysfunctional role. Okay, and it's due to habit. We are creatures of habit. We gravitate towards what is very familiar to us, even if it's toxic, even if it's dysfunctional. So watch out for, um, you know, playing those dysfunctional roles everywhere you go in every relationship you have, because codependency does this to us. It influences us to repeat negative or toxic to dysfunctional patterns, which is gonna keep us in the sunken place, okay? So tool number two, learn to release energy that does not elevate you. Okay, so here's a question, here's a critical question. Does the relationship with your narcissist really elevate you? Does it help you get to the next level? I don't care what it is you wanna do. Does it help you? Does that relationship nourish you? Does it have you looking at yourself like you can do anything? Does it have you feel does it help you to feel like you can do anything? Or is it the opposite? Does this relationship help you to fill your cup or does it empty your cup? Okay, so tool number three, practice personal boundaries and mindfulness. doesn't like that. You ever notice why the narcissist wants you totally paying attention to him? Because they want to be the center of your life, whether that is for pain or pleasure. Thank you guys and gals so much for your subscription. 
And for those of you who are visiting the Luminous Star channel for the first time, welcome. And if you have recently become a subscriber, thank you so much for your subscription and welcome to the Luminous Star family. How does these relationships become effective? Well, the narcissist is a codependent relationship. First of all, I wanna point out that there are two components that we're dealing with here. And that is codependency and narcissism. Okay, well actually pathological narcissism. So when we're dealing with these two dynamics in relationships, first of all, it can actually influence us to look at some harsh realities, not just about ourselves, but about other people. So the effects of trauma within a narcissistic codependent relationship can be quite dire. Sometimes it can feel heavy on the, the spirit and the heart. Sometimes it even makes us feel hopeless. But I know sometimes in the past when I was dealing with relationships that were not healthy for me, yeah, there were times that I felt depressed. There were times that I felt hopeless. Now, codependent narcissistic relationships or narcissistic codependent relationships, whichever way you like to put it, is the same thing, right? So when we're dealing with this, it can actually influence us to dig deep into our own shadow. So we're already dealing with cluster personality types, such as histrionic personality, antisocial personality, narcissistic personality, and the histrionic, I, I mentioned histrionic, I meant borderline personality, right? The person is gaslighting us, so that's gonna affect our perspective. It's gonna make us question, okay, who we are. Where do we stand in the relationship? Because when a person uses gaslighting techniques via neuro-linguistic programming, that makes you feel like you're in a twilight zone because your head and your heart or your emotions are being toyed with seemingly all the time. So when we're talking about how our mental and emotional health is affected in these relationships, this is pretty deep because sometimes this can make us look at the world in a very dark way. Some of us have known someone to unfortunately, uh, start to harm themselves, maybe even other people. Some people have suicidal tendencies, okay? Some people, they may uh, have maladaptive coping mechanisms such as cutting themselves. Some of us, when we slip into that very dark place, we may start to do things that maybe we never thought we would do, okay? And again, this is coming from pain. Some people are just, you know, they slip into that dark side. We all have a dark side. Now, I'm not advocating to just, you know, go full throttle with that. My point is, when we are affected by codependent narcissistic relationships, it's not just affecting us, it affects those around us. Shadow work helps one to embrace the good, bad, and ugly of themselves, which could encourage self-acceptance. So by doing shadow work, a person can learn how to love and accept themselves when they face the good, the bad, and ugly. By resisting the shadow side, the person usually does limit their abilities to live a full life because they're walking on eggshells. This is often why a lot of people who have relationships with narcissists or dysfunctional relationships with narcissists and, and cluster personalities, they do walk on eggshells because they're not embracing who they really are. Yet they're trying to have a relationship with someone Another else. thing that embracing the shadow side does 
is to help a person to be fully engaged in a relationship with someone else. They can be present in the relationships with others rather than walking on eggshells, rather than living their lives in fear because they're not only afraid of others, but they're afraid of their own shadows. I know we've heard that phrase before, afraid of your own shadow. Well, when a person embraces their shadow side, they're no longer afraid of their shadows. They embrace their shadows and they learn how to love and accept themselves. So that way they can have healthy relationships with other people. They're exercising something that is a part of their human experience. And that is to make choices. Either they can be a whole person who chooses to operate from a lower vibrational frequency, or they are a whole person who chooses to operate from a higher vibrational frequency. When a person understands that there's a shadow side to human nature, again, they are ahead so of the at game. at the risk of sounding like I'm defending the narcissist or cultural personality, I'm certainly not. I'm just saying that it's possible that in that regard, they are ahead of the game because they do have a shadow side of human nature, which they often display. Sometimes they don't display it because there's the false self-image. And they do this in order to gain the source supply. So the bottom line is this. The narcissist and cursing personality, they have a shadow side like everybody else. And they will be more comfortable in displaying that if their false self-image is threatened. The false self-image can be someone who is a martyr or a saint or even a victim who has been wrongly done. When people are constantly put down and let down, especially by loved ones such as family, this again can influence a person to tap into the dark side or to slope psychologically. Okay, they can just go to a dark place. And this is very dangerous. So when a person is suffering trauma, this is very deep. So when we start looking at narcissistic codependent relationships, it's very easy to miss the signs of trauma. So neurologically, this person may be suffering from headaches or migraines. Uh, they may have a brain aneurysm. They may have brain tumors. Uh, they may be suffering from epilepsy. So this person who is dealing with, um, you know, the codependent narcissistic relationship on a daily basis, their health is going to deteriorate. Their health is going to be compromised, okay? Or their health will deteriorate, okay? So this is something that is... Some people may debate and say, well, okay, it's not that hard to see that. But when a person is going through some of those things, like epilepsy, we may not be too quick to uh, tie that to them having a narcissist in his or her life, of them having a codependent relationship with a narcissist. Okay, we may not be able to tie that together so easily, especially when we're talking about children. A person later in life, they can some of these health issues can show up and... It's kind of hard to tie that if a person is not paying attention or if they don't know the person, they may not be able to correlate that or connect that to their having been traumatized, you know, due to having a codependent narcissistic relationship for a long period of time in his or her life. All right, so I mentioned the generational trauma or transgenerational trauma, intergenerational trauma, translation, generational curses. 
Some of us have heard about this. This is when our grandparents and or our parents have suffered something in their past. They may not speak about it, but they have been traumatized. Whatever that event was, it could have been several events, but they were traumatized. These issues go unresolved. So they pass that on to the offspring. So you have adopted particular behavior patterns. And as you grow up, believe it or not, this can cause your health to be compromised because you are being traumatized. And I had mentioned that I read somewhere where the uh, DNA can be altered. Okay, that's very interesting. I think it's called the epigenetics. This is where epigenetics comes in. So let's look a little bit deeper into the intergenerational and transgenerational trauma. What does that look like? How does a child suffer exactly? Again, he or she is being traumatized. So he or she, they may suffer anxiety, but chronic anxiety. They may have panic attacks before they're 18. If, matter of fact, before they're 10 years old. Okay, so by the time they, let's just go ahead and take it further and say by the time they are in kindergarten, first grade, the child may already be showing a lot of signs of trauma, but this again can go undetected. There can be reenactments of um, attachment trauma, okay, or what you call toxic ties or trauma bonding. Uh, children can show this at a very early age, again, before they're even 18 years old. So by the time they're adults, they can start to really suffer health issues. When a child is in the throes or right in the middle of transgenerational traumas, of course, this is gonna also affect their relationships with other people. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes some people end up suffering some sort of neurosis and they can really slip into the dark side. So when a person delves into that dark side, it's usually because for a long period of time, he or she has been exposed to uh, abusive behavior, okay? Sometimes at the hands of cluster personality types such as narcissists or those who have a uh, narcissistic personality. Okay, so let's move on to the biochemical. This is how the reward system can be stimulated due to uh, inappropriate attachment styles or a particular attachment style that he or she may have with cluster personality type. Okay, this is going to be a grandparent again. This can be the parents. This can be siblings. Uh, this can be aunts, uncles. Now, about the siblings, I want to say this. Um, the siblings, I'm going to say if they are already adults. Okay, but I don't want to include siblings who are minors. In other words, they're teenagers. So if children have, have relationships with their teenage siblings, they're pretty much in the same boat. They're, they're both, all of them, they're being traumatized by having a codependent narcissistic relationship within a family, okay? So we really can't blame our older brothers and sisters who may have also shown signs of trauma, but they were minors. But those who are already adults, like, you know, maybe 21 and up, and maybe their younger siblings who are children and or minors, and they're abusing them, and they're, you know, there's a lot of things going on there, that's another story. Okay, but sometimes the trauma bonding can be a result of the biochemical. So we have the trauma bonding and we have the inappropriate attachment style. So trauma bonding seems to reflect an insecure attachment style. And again, this is where um, there can be some you know, toxic ties in between family members. There can be toxic ties in between partners, spouses. 
Um, you know, so it's an insecure attachment style again, and this tends to go on from a person's childhood, adolescence, on into their adulthood, and that pattern just, you know, that program continues to, to just keep going until they learn how to, you know, attach with people in a better way. So while the insecure attachment style is active, the reward system is stimulated. Okay, this again, this is where the trauma bonding comes in. It keeps it intact, actually. Biochemical addiction keeps trauma bonds intact. Please check out that video at the end of this video. It's the pleasure principle that often motivates the person to stay in a relationship because of your personality types. Because again, I, I mentioned the pleasure principle. That has everything to do with the reward system. So if the person is being rewarded or they feel like they're getting something out of a toxic relationship, such as a narcissistic codependent relationship, they're going to feel that it's normal to stay in such a relationship. Due to emotional contagion, some empaths who are in a dysfunctional relationship with a narcissist may feel his or her basic emotions during energy transference or mood transference. Okay, so these emotions, again, the basic emotion, anger and fear. Some, though, some who are empaths or some who behave codependently, they may feel these emotions a lot when they are in a relationship with a narcissist and a cussing personality, especially during energy transference or mood transference, which is very real. Okay.